Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, open them to the book of 2 Timothy. We're going to be looking at chapter 4, verses 17 through 22. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 17 through 22. Well, we have arrived at this last section of verses in our journey this summer through the book of 2 Timothy. And I trust that it has been a worthwhile study for you and that the Lord has used the preaching of this book for our good and his glory. Next Sunday, as I mentioned earlier, we'll have a, a topical sermon for Grandparents Day. And then the following Sunday, we'll, have a ten, we'll begin a 10-week study in the book of Ecclesiastes, which should take us up to around Christmas time. That's our plan for this fall, God willing. Now for just a moment, let's review what we covered last week. Last Sunday, we talked about the abandoned apostle. As the apostle Paul nears the end of his life, he is in jail for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is likely sick and cold, and he is certainly largely alone. We said it really shouldn't be that way for a man that devoted his life to helping and ministering to others. It shouldn't end that way. But nevertheless, here he is. This is his circumstance. But despite the fact that no other person even stood with him at his trial, in verse 17, Paul says that the Lord stood with him and the Lord strengthened him. And so last Sunday we talked about that and we applied that to our own life, that even in those times when we feel abandoned and even in those times when we feel alone, we know that if we're a Christian, we're never completely alone because Jesus always stands with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And we're so grateful for the peace and the confidence that that knowledge gives us. Well, today we transition from that great promise to Paul's miscellaneous closing thoughts at the end of this letter. And I've entitled this sermon today, Life Lessons from Paul. In these last six verses, there are some really helpful truths that will greatly benefit us in our own walk with Christ if we will take them to heart. So let's begin to make our way through this text. We'll begin by reading the first part of verse 17. Here is what Paul writes. He says, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And we'll pause there. Life lesson number one is this. If you're still here, God has a plan for you. Paul mentions in verse 17 that the Lord stood with him and strengthened him at his first trial, even when no one else stood by his side. And we looked at that part of the verse last week. And We do praise God because he never deserts his children. That's what we see here. We've covered that already. But what Paul says next is very, very important as well because he tells us why God stood with him and strengthened him. Why did God stand with him? So that the message might be preached through me and all the Gentiles might hear. You see, God didn't stand with Paul and strengthen Paul just so that Paul could merely exist and just kind of go through the motions of the rest of his life. God spared Paul because Paul had a job to do. Paul had a mission that had not yet been fully accomplished. And that mission, in Paul's case, was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ 
to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish peoples in that part of the world. That's the mission that Paul was given way back in the very beginning of his ministry. as described in Acts chapter 9. He was to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, we don't have a record in Scripture of what happened at Paul's trial in Rome, the trial that he references in verse 17. What we do know is that when Paul was put on trial at other occasions, that he used those opportunities to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to all who were in attendance, including some pretty important people, uh, governors, for instance. You know, the trials of life, not just literal trials such as Paul went through, but the trials in our life are when we can also, excuse me, often have our most powerful gospel influence and our most powerful gospel witness. And this was certainly the case in Paul's life and ministry. And I think it's safe to say that preaching the gospel is exactly what Paul did when he was placed on trial in Rome. And I think that's what he's referring to in verse 17, when he says that the Lord stood with him and strengthened him so the message might be preached and the Gentiles might hear. Paul very easily could have just stayed quiet and just accepted his fate and slumped back off to his jail cell and just waited to die, but he didn't do that. He used his trial as one last opportunity to fulfill the mission that God had given him to tell the Gentiles about Jesus. And here's the application for us. The same is true for you and me. If you're still here in this world, if God in his grace has allowed you to live this long, if he has given you the strength to keep going, then that means that he still has a job for you to do. We never reach a point where we retire from serving Jesus. Remember what Paul said back in chapter 4 and verse 7. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. We don't put it on cruise control and just coast to the end of life. But we go hard all the way to the finish line. We are to pour ourselves out as a drink offering, as it says in chapter 4 and verse 6. Every last drop. For the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes as people advance in age, they think that there's nothing more for them to do in the kingdom of God, and that could not be further from the truth. Now, the kinds of things that you do may change. Maybe you can't walk door to door any longer and invite people to church. Maybe you can't get on the ground and play with preschoolers in the nursery anymore. Maybe you can't come to the work day and do physical labor. Maybe you can't even attend church every single week because of your health. But even in those circumstances, you can still be a prayer warrior. You can be an encourager. You can be a giver to send others on mission. And you can tell people about Jesus and the course of your daily life. If you're still here, God has a plan for you. We must give our all to complete the mission that he has given us right up until we draw our last breath. Why? Because that's what he's worthy of. Amen? He's worthy of it all. All right, let's continue reading the rest of verse 17 and verse 18. Paul says, Also I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Life lesson number two is this. If you're a Christian, be assured that God will either deliver you or deliver you. (laughs) Now, that may sound like a redundant statement, but let me explain it, and I think you'll know what I mean. Paul mentions the word deliver 
or some translations say rescue, two different times in those verses that we just read. But the reality is that he means the word in a different way each time he uses it. The first instance in verse 17 refers to a temporary or an earthly deliverance. The second instance in verse 18 refers to an ultimate or an eternal deliverance. And so let's look at each one of those briefly. First, he says, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now, most commentators believe that Paul means this in a figurative sense, that he is using the lion as a metaphor for the devil. We know 1 Peter 5 calls the devil a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. However, there's also the possibility that Paul could be referring to a literal lion. This was the period of time when Christians were commonly fed to lions in the Roman Colosseum, and people would watch for sport as lions tore Christians limb from limb. So perhaps Paul was to be fed to the lions at some point, or at least threatened to be, and God somehow intervened and and rescued him. It certainly uh, wouldn't be the first time that God rescued his people from lions. So we truly don't know for sure if Paul's statement here is figurative or literal, but the point is whether it was the devil or a literal lion that God stepped in some point and he delivered, he rescued Paul's earthly life. And he does the same for his children today, doesn't he? How many of us can look back on our life and say, were it not for the supernatural intervention of God, my life would have been destroyed. I would not have survived the consequences of my sin were it not for the hand of God. I would not have survived that illness, that diagnosis. I would not have survived that accident were it not for the hand of God supernaturally delivering me and rescuing me. And you can fill in the blank for your own life, but the point is we know that God still delivers the earthly lives of his people even today just as he did with Paul. And he spares our life, and this is important, not so that we can live for ourselves, but because he has a mission for us to complete. However, does God always choose to deliver his people's earthly lives? No, not at all. He doesn't, does he? Sometimes Christians do lose their life to sin or illness or freak accident, or persecution, or any number of things that take place in a fallen world. Not too long ago, there was a story that hit me particularly hard. A a young 38-year-old pastor, a graduate of SBU, that down in Texas stopped on the highway to help a, there was a burning car, and he helped get people out of it, and as he looked up, a semi was headed toward all of them, and he shoved the people out of the way, and he got hit by the semi, and he died. 38 years old, wife, four beautiful, small children. Does God always rescue his people? Not always. Sometimes he does allow us to die. So are we then to say that when a Christian dies that God failed to deliver them? Of course not. On the contrary, I would encourage you to think this way. When a Christian goes home to his eternal reward, it is not that God has failed him. Rather, it, has, it is that God has delivered him in an even more wonderful way. This is what Paul means in verse 18 when he says, The Lord will deliver him from every evil work and preserve him for his heavenly kingdom. Paul's talking there in that sense about ultimate or eternal deliverance. Because here's the thing, Paul was not naive. Paul knew 
as he sat in that jail cell writing this letter, that he was not long for this world. He knew that this time his imprisonment was not going to end with his release. And Christian history tells us that just a short time after writing this letter to Timothy, that Paul was decapitated, that he was beheaded at the hands of the wicked emperor Nero in his great persecution of Christians. Nevertheless, Paul could say, the Lord will deliver me from every evil work. Paul knew that if the Lord chose in his providence not to deliver his earthly life, that that would only mean ultimate deliverance in the kingdom of heaven. Remember Paul's words in Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, I'm a winner either way. I either get to stay on earth and serve Jesus or I get to go to heaven and be with Jesus. But either way, God will deliver me. What a wonderful way to approach life. What a wonderful way to look at death. Oh, that we might have the same confidence in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because if we did, it would change our entire outlook on how we live our life. And not only does Paul have confidence that God will deliver him, he also has confidence that God will preserve him, is what it says there in verse 18. Meaning that Paul has every assurance that God will preserve or hold on to his salvation. Recall with me back all the way to chapter 1 and verse 12 of this very book when Paul writes, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. If it was up to us to keep our own salvation, we'd lose it in a minute. But praise God that he is faithful to hold on to us. Paul had every confidence that God would keep his salvation. And again, what joy and what peace of mind that it gives us to know that we are securely in God's hand and no one, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck us out. And that's why we say along with Paul in verse 18, to God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you're a Christian, be assured God will either deliver you or deliver you. Well, at this point in the letter, we transition to Paul's final goodbyes. But even in these words, we find a couple of life lessons that I think we would be wise to take with us. So let's look at verses 19 through 21. He says, greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. There's that name again. It popped up in chapter one, and I struggled with it then, and I'll probably struggle with it again today. That's all right. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus, sick. Do your utmost to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all of the brethren. All right, life lesson number three that we pull from these names. When you make good Christian friends, treasure them forever. As Paul closes his letter to Timothy, he asks him to pass greetings on to some dear Christian friends. Specifically, he mentions Prisca, sometimes called Priscilla, and Aquila in verse 19. Priscilla and Aquila were a married Christian couple that Paul stayed with and worked with as tent makers while on his second missionary journey. You can read about that in Acts chapter 18. In Romans chapter 16, Paul says that Priscilla and Aquila, quote unquote, risked their necks for him. And we don't know the story behind that either, but suffice it to say, Priscilla and Aquila and Paul had been through a lot together. And Paul 
obviously cared about them deeply. Paul also mentions the household of Onesiphorus in verse 19. If you recall, Onesiphorus, as I said a while ago, was mentioned way back at the very beginning of this letter as one who had traveled hundreds of miles from Ephesus to Rome to seek Paul out and visit him in prison and encourage him and provide for his needs. I think it goes without saying, Onesiphorus was no doubt a very special person to Paul. In addition, six other names are mentioned there in verses 19 and 20 that Paul is either giving Timothy an update on or passing greetings from them to Timothy. Now, what's the significance of all that? What's the significance of all these names? If nothing else, if, they, if it accomplishes nothing else, I think the list of these names points to the importance of Christian community. You know, we said last week that people come into our life and people go out of our life. People get on the bus, people get off the bus. Sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for not so good. And that's just the way that it is. That's just life. But I think one of the lessons here is that when God does bring people into our life who are faithful friends, that we really need to treasure those friendships and thank God for them and appreciate them while we have them. Because one day, God may take us in different directions and we'll miss them dearly. One thing that we see Paul doing here that I think is good for us to do as well is to do the best we can to maintain those relationships even when we're separated, to stay in touch. And of course, we have lots of ways to do that in this day and age, and we need to take advantage of those. True Christian friendships are just too rare and too precious to neglect. So with that in mind, I would ask you a couple questions this morning. First, for whose current friendship in Christ are you grateful? Who is always there to pray for you and encourage you when you need it? Thank God for those people. And I would challenge you, let those people know what they mean to you. Second, who's your Priscilla and Aquila? Who are those people from your past? Maybe you're separated now, but you still treasure their friendship and you treasure the time that you had together. I would challenge you, as Paul, just as Paul does in this letter, reach out to them. Make an intentional effort to stay in touch. If we're too busy to keep in touch with the people that we love, we're too busy. For me, I doubt any of these guys are listening to this, but back to my childhood, I think about Jim Flora. And in my college days, I think about Martin Winslow and the time we were in Indiana, Guy Lancor, and then other mentors in my life like Jim Wells and Kenneth McIntosh who have gone on to heaven. I love these men and the ones who are still here. I try to keep in touch with them. And we can pick up not seeing each other weeks or months just like it was yesterday. Man, praise God for those kinds of friends. Who are those friends for you? And what can you do to reach out to them and let them know that you love them? That's what Paul did in this letter. And I think we'd be wise to follow suit. Now, let's look at the last verse of this book. Verse 22. Paul says, The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Here's the last lesson from this passage. Life lesson number four, be a conduit of grace. That's it. Be a conduit of grace. Paul opened this letter in chapter one and verse two 
by extending grace to Timothy. And Paul closes this letter the same way, by extending grace. I would argue that that's what we as Christians should desire to be known for above all else, being people of grace. God has poured out such lavish grace upon us in the gift of his Son. How can we not extend that same grace to others? God's grace must not end with us, but we must be a conduit through which his grace flows onto our fellow man. Grace that displays love. Grace that demonstrates kindness. Grace that forgives trespasses. Grace that practices patience. Grace that shows mercy to sinners. Paul instructs Timothy in chapter 2 and verse 1 of this letter, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. One pastor I greatly respect often says this, and I think about this often, if I'm going to err in how I deal with people, I want to err on the side of grace. I would rather have God say on judgment day that I extended too much grace rather than that I dealt with someone too harshly. This was Paul's last word to Timothy. This is what he wanted to be known for, grace. How about you? Would people say that you are known for grace? Will your legacy be one of grace? May it be said of each one of us, he or she was strong in grace. May we give grace to others as we have so freely received. As we come to a close, while we're talking about grace, I would be negligent not to tell you that the ultimate expression of grace was God sending his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Now remember that grace is unmerited favor. It is undeserved favor. The truth is we don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve mercy. We don't deserve eternal life. We are rebels against God. But God loves us so much that he made a way for us to be with him forever. And that way is through faith in Jesus. And so let me ask you, have you repented of your sin and believed upon Jesus Christ? The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. As Paul sat in a jail cell, a cold, dark jail cell, and faced the end of his life as he was writing this letter, he was at peace because he knew that Jesus was always with him, and he knew that Jesus would deliver him, that Jesus would soon take him home. And you can have that same kind of peace if you will give your life to Jesus. If you're ready to follow Jesus, Call on his name this very hour, and he will save you. If you're here today and you're ready to commit your life to Jesus Christ, or you have questions about what it means to be a Christian, or to follow the Lord in baptism, or to join the church, any of those things, please find me after the service. I'll either be in here or out in the lobby. I'll be around. Just come up to me and say, Josh, I want to talk about becoming a Christian. Or come to Pastor Bill or any one of the mature believers in this room, we'd be more than happy to have that conversation with you. Would you bow your heads with me, please, and let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much um, for the book of Second Timothy. 
and for the blessing that it has been to us and for the ways that I know the Holy Spirit has challenged us and encouraged us and convicted us and edified us through this book. I know it has me as I've studied it, and I trust that it has others as well. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in our lives. I pray that we would finish strong. I pray that we would be known as people of grace. Lord, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know Jesus, I pray that they would give their heart and their life to him this very day. I ask all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.